Welcome to the Nourishing Autism podcast, where we take a deep dive into the research on autism and dietary changes, nutrition supplements, and lifestyle modifications. Every week, we break down nutrition topics in an easy-to-understand way for you to feel less overwhelmed and feel confident on your nutrition journey with autism. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nourishing Autism podcast. I'm your host, Britton Coleman, the autism dietitian, and I'm so excited that you're here today. I loved this episode. I was able to interview a colleague of mine. Her name is Becca King, and she is ADHD nutritionist on Instagram. We had an awesome conversation. We had met Oh, a year and a half ago when we did dietitian business coaching together. And it was just so great to find somebody in a similar field because there are not a ton of uh, dietitians who are in this field. So Becca is a registered dietitian from Charlotte, North Carolina. And as an adult with ADHD who struggled for years with disordered eating, Becca is passionate about helping other adults with ADHD who struggle with binge eating, chronic dieting, and body image issues, helps them find food freedom and improve their self-esteem. She uses the principles of intuitive eating and weight-inclusive approach to nutrition for ADHD in her virtual practice. It is an awesome interview. I hope you enjoy this episode with Becca King. Okay. Thank you so much, Becca, for being here for this episode of Nourishing Autism. I'm so excited to have you. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. So Becca and I uh, first connected when we did business coaching with Libby Rothschild. I will just flip her name in. (laughs) And we really connected because we have such an overlap in what we do. I mean, there's obviously I work in kids on the spectrum. You work with adults with ADHD, but I always just find your content just being so helpful and informative for me included. So I would love for you to share with everybody what you do and how you support your clients. Yeah. So my name is Becca King. I'm also a registered dietitian. I have ADHD myself and I work with adults who have ADHD and struggle mostly with disordered eating. Most of my clients have struggle with binge eating or overeating and I kind of work with them. I kind of take the intuitive eating approach. So kind of working on healing their relationship with food and figuring out, I think it's a nice fit with ADHD because it can kind of help you break free from like this, like societal expectations of how you should eat and kind of figuring out a way of eating that makes you feel your best. And it might not look like what a neurotypical person eating pattern or eating style is. Definitely. I think with intuitive eating, it's learning a lot about what your body signals are saying. And I've had trouble with that in the past too. And I really love your mindful approach for people who don't know what intuitive eating is. Some people think it's just eating whatever you want all the time. Would you mind (laughs) sharing a little bit about what that actually is? Yeah. So while it is basically it's removing the restriction around eating, you know, the rules that we might have around food. So yes, you can eat whatever you want, but it's also connecting with how foods feel in your body when you eat them. And I think that gets missed a lot of times in the representation of intuitive eating. Cause most people say like, I'm just going to eat cake and cookies and, you know, pizza and hamburgers all the time. And it's like, but if you ate all those foods, you know, 24 seven, typically you're not going to feel feel great. Or at some point you're like, I think I might want a vegetable. (laughs) So yeah. So there's still a, a, you know, gentle nutrition is still a part of intuitive eating. It's just a little less 
structured with like, oh, I have to have specific times that I eat and I have to track all these, you know, the calories and this and that. So kind of learning to trust our bodies and listen to our bodies versus having more external rules to guide us with, with eating. My mind was blown when I read the intuitive eating book. It was just never something I'd ever heard about in dietetic school. And just with the movement of food freedom was just so liberating to me. And I realized that I grew up with so many food rules and still had so many. And I learned that sometimes when you start intuitive eating, it kind of looks like eating pizza and cake and all the things at first until you learn like those internal cues and um, yeah, the, the honeymoon phase is yes. what some people call it. We're like, yeah, you might eat more of those foods because your body has expected you to restrict them typically or eat a lot of them and then restrict them again. And so there can be a period where you're, you eat a little bit more of them, but then once your body kind of learns that food is available whenever it, there's kind of a shift where it's like, yeah, actually like I do enjoy eating some nutritious, like eating more nutritious foods because it genuinely, generally does make us feel better. You know, we need to have more energy and be able to focus better and things like that when we are. Yeah. I also found I like, didn't actually like some of the foods I used to overeat when I started having (laughs) access to them. And I was like, I actually really don't want to eat the ice cream in my fridge because now I'm giving myself full access to eat it, but I really don't enjoy the way it tastes. And I really don't feel good after. It's funny how your mind, it switches, it takes time, but that's what was really monumental for me. It's fun for me to it's fun for me to do that with my clients. Like when we do, like I'll have them bring food to some of our coaching calls and like some of their like off limits or forbidden foods, or some of them call them shame foods. Cause they're not off limits, but like I overeat them. And so whenever I have them and once we do the activity, they're like, I actually don't really like this. Like I thought <laughs> I would, like, I built this up in my head as like this food I loved. And like, once they, you get more connected with your body and like the taste and the texture and how, how like it feels as it's digesting in your body. And it's like, Oh, actually I don't really like this. Like it was just that, like having it built up on a pedestal makes you like want it even more, you know? So true. So how do you find with intuitive eating, how does this intertwine with ADHD and how do you support people in this way? Yeah. So I find a lot of, I'm sure, especially with kids who are on the spectrum, like mindfulness approaches can be very helpful with managing things. And so I find intuitive eating allows you to incorporate mindfulness practices with eating. And for my clients and I support them, I'm just kind of figuring out for a lot of my clients, figuring out how to eat enough and to eat consistently throughout the day or figuring out, you know, Hey, I might get, you know, I might get hyper fixated on a food one day and then, and being okay with like, that's okay. And we can ride that wave and then have a plan for when things are going to shift a little bit or like one day it's like, I don't like this food anymore. And I liked it for, you know, I ate it every day for three weeks and now I never want to see it again. (laughs) I see that with a lot of my clients, but they're young children who sometimes can't communicate that. And so their parents are like, yes, we have a new food. We're eating it every day. And then all of a sudden one day they don't want to eat it anymore. And I'm like, yes, we got to come up with plans and like ways that we can make sure we don't like burn out on those foods. But for my clients, it's hard because they can't always communicate exactly what's going on, but it's neat to be able to actually talk about like the science behind that and why that happens and how to prepare your body to overcome that when you notice that you're, uh, we call it like food jagging. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really neat. And I, before I saw 
your page, I never really realized how important intuitive eating is for people with ADHD. It just it yeah. clicked for me so well. And it, it made a lot of sense why it's been working for me. But I just, I love all the things that you share. Yes. It's just so needed. I haven't seen anyone else really go into yeah. either. You're yeah. Your own little yeah. Fear. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple other dietitians that have kind of popped up on Instagram that do some ADHD D stuff still in that non-diet approach too, which is really nice. So I'm not like the only one. Good, good, good. <laughs> That's exciting. I think uh, my area is also growing and it's exciting to see yeah. more dietitians. I'm like, there's room for a million dietitians in yeah. this space because so many people need support. Um, yeah. I'm sure you feel the same way. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like I will need there to be more people. Yeah. And like, then you can find someone for, for if you are the client, you can find a provider that like, you actually like gel with and you get along with really well. And I think that's really important versus like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, we don't get along or we don't click, then you're not going to get as much out of this, out of your time together. It's so true. It's so true. So one thing that I work with a lot of my clients with is sensory input and how they get sensory input from different foods or how they may avoid certain textures or senses because eating is really our most sensory rich experience. Do you yeah. notice that with your clients or yourself as well? Certain foods you're eating. Oh, yes. Input? Yes, definitely. Especially for like the dopamine component for a lot of my clients, like eating for stimulation is a huge thing. And it's very common or even like, even like the bubbles and carbonated drinks is another one where people are like, Ooh, I love that's why I love it. Cause it's such like a sensory experience compared to just drinking plain water but I do have people kind of on both like I also have some adults too that still struggle with like sensory issues and avoiding certain things or having a hard time eating a wide variety of foods because of sensory issues and I think it's always interesting because it always gets talked about a lot with children having being more picky eaters and it doesn't always get addressed as like sometimes it doesn't go away as you become an adult like you still have some of those sensory issues around food. Yeah. And, you know, because I only work in kids, I think sometimes I'm a little blind to see some of that. I know that it exists, but that's just not my area to work in. So, I mean, I know the way, of course, that I approach picky eating with kids and respecting their sensory preferences, but also, of course, growth happens when we're pushed outside of our comfort zone at the same time. So how, what is that process like for adults overcoming picky eating as well? Would you say similar? I would say it's, it's pretty similar. I think the challenges for adults is making some of those foods for themselves. Like if they're not interested in that food, they're the one who has to make it first. Sometimes you know, like kids have that, their parents are going to be preparing the food. So like, it's harder to motivate yourself to try something new that you're like, I don't like this food. Like, and I'm going to sit here and cook it. Like, I don't think, I don't think so. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think (laughs) having a child and like cooking for them and wanting the best for their nutrition, it's so easy to do something healthy for somebody else. Yeah. And then it's so hard to do it for ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely respecting those preferences too. I think, cause I, I have a lot of adults who experience shame around that too, of like, why can't I like these foods or these different things, or I should be eating wider variety than what I'm eating and being okay with like, Hey, it's okay. If you only like vegetables, cooked a certain way like you don't have to eat 
steamed vegetables, if eating steamed vegetables grosses you out and you won't eat them, like if you like them roasted and you like them really crispy, then we're just going to emphasize eating more roasted vegetables. And that's totally cool. It's so interesting because I mean, to your point, I think that like diet culture makes out like steamed veggies and chicken to be like the perfect meal. And it's not true. It's like you can get those nutrients in so many other ways where you can enjoy it so much more. And so a lot of times I'm like teaching parents on different cooking or different ways to cook things like let's toss it in the air fryer or like to make it crispy and to make it a texture that your child may be more open to trying. And exactly like you said, it's okay if you only like it cooked one way and just like being kind to your body and or parents like just respecting some of your child's needs but then also like I said encouraging them to take steps forward yeah so one thing that we actually uh, talked about right before we got on this call was or right before we clicked record was also the power and like expansion in new foods and not it's so easy and the autism and ADHD world to just be like restrict this restrict this like go gluten and dairy free and then the like food freedom world is like eat all the foods. So I, yeah. I could imagine that there's a fine balance in between both of those and yeah. conflicting a lot with a lot of yeah. different colleagues, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it's again, and I think that's where intuitive eating is nice is like figuring out, Hey, does eating these foods impact my ADHD symptoms or do these foods not make me feel good when I eat them? And you have the, you know, the choice there of whether or not you're going to choose to eat those foods versus it being like, oh, I can't eat that. Or just giving a blanket statement to everyone that you have to avoid these certain foods. And they might be foods that you actually enjoy and don't bother you. Like dairy doesn't bother me. It doesn't make my ADHD symptoms worse. And I enjoy eating it. So I'm not like going to restrict it because somewhere on the internet, it says it's going to help my ADHD. And I'm like, it it doesn't make a difference. Exactly. It's everyone is so individualized and the internet definitely puts a blanket approach on autism and ADHD. And especially in the autism space, feeling every child on the spectrum has to be gluten and dairy free or else it's just going to be chaotic. And it's not true. I have many clients who see extreme success, still eating gluten, still eating dairy. I also have some clients who have tried gluten and dairy free and it's worked incredibly well for them. And then others who have tried it, who it just doesn't make a difference. And so I think that it's super harmful to just create that kind of like good approach. So I'm grateful for like providers like you who are like, let's expand (laughs) and let's listen to your body instead. And I, I just think that that's really special and practicing intuitive eating in kids is another piece that I want to explore more and how to integrate that. And it's, it's definitely it can be a difficult like challenge when your communication may be an issue too and helping kids understand how to expand. So thank you for like sharing all the information that you do about intuitive eating. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, it was just an era. I was like, no, one's talking about this. And like, someone should be talking about it. And it's like, so I'm just going to try. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to start talking about it see how it goes. So Good for you. Well, I remember you- when Libby, Lib- Libby, I was like, figuring out my niche and when I was working with Libby and I remember her being like I think I have something because I was like I know I want to do intuitive eating and I was reflecting on my own like personal journey and working with one of my friends who had ADHD as well and I was like oh my gosh there's this whole piece of the puzzle that no one's talking about with disordered eating and and I remember Libby kind of looking at me like okay you could try it like see how it goes and I was like and then it and it's 
it's gone really well. It's taken so. off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I mean, you know better than anybody. Um, it's like she may not, you know, have ADHD, but you understand your life's journey, how it's impacted you and your relationship with food. You know better than anybody else that that's a missing yeah. area. Same with autism and picky eating. A lot of my colleagues are. Um, my classmates, when I would say, I really want to go into autism and nutrition and picky eating. And they were like, okay, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. But I saw it with my brother growing up. And sometimes it takes that personal experience to really see a gap in the community where you can fill it. And it sounds like you've done just that. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool to like be able, I'm like so grateful that it can be a resource for other people, other adults with ADHD, because I think it's just something for a lot of my clients, especially women, they don't get diagnosed later in life most of the time. And so all, a lot of the time they've been struggling with disordered eating or their relationship with food for most of their life. And they're like, I've never understood why. And then being able to start making more connections with ADHD and like issues with the executive function around cooking and meal planning and all of that. And they're like, oh, this makes so much more sense now or like where they've been going through treatment. And like once they leave like an inpatient facility and go outpatient, like, or they're like, you know, they have to go home and follow the meal plan on their own, but they can't get the, they can't wrap their head around like getting the executive function to make or prepare different meals. And then they're unfortunately labeled by some providers as like, they're just being non-compliant. And they're like, no, I'm like stuck in paralysis on the couch because I'm so overwhelmed by cooking. And like, but I want to cook the meals and I want to eat the meals and I want to do it all, but I'm just overwhelmed and I can't like initiate, I can't get the task started and I don't know where to start and it's too much. And it's, and if unfortunately a lot of, I think a lot of some, a lot of providers don't understand that component of ADHD. So they're like, you're just being lazy or you don't want to do it. And it's like, no, that's not it at all. So, well, I'm sure then your programs offer not only guidance for people, but a lot of validation that what they're experiencing is also what a lot of other people experience. And that's why I love group, group coaching for that reason, because it can be so validating to be like, oh my God, I'm not the only person that forgets to eat. Like, because other people will be like, my friends are nerds. People are like, how do you forget to eat? And I'm like, how do you remember to eat every single time, every single day at like the exact same time? Like it blows my mind I don't understand or no understanding like oh I really that's why I love crunchy foods because it does it's that that sensory experience is really stimulating for me and it just being able to click and share those things with other people and talk about it and being like oh I'm not the only one who does these things or you know and I think that can be huge especially for adults and like women who are diagnosed later in life of it not feeling like oh I'm the only one who's been doing these things and struggling with these things and being like, oh, there's all these other women that experience these things too. Like, and that I think is so helpful to see. It's so true. Yeah. Having a community around you with other people working on the same exact thing, whether it's you who is working, you know, on nutrition or a parent who is working to expand their child's diet. Yeah. The aspect just makes a whole world of a difference. I mean, I see my group clients making progress so much quicker than private clients because, uh, and I stopped offering private consulting because my groups were excelling so much quicker and it's because you have this community around you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so, that part is so important, especially if if you don't have other people in your life or around you in your day-to-day life who have, are struggling with the same things or have similar experiences as you that 
like it's so nice to find that nice little community online of like people even if they're not physically around you to have that space that you can go rely on and communicate with it's so true well how can people find your groups how can they enroll yeah. how can they find you and uh, work with you? i am on instagram mostly on instagram um on, at adhd.nutritionist and if you go to my link in my bio i do offer a free 30 minute call um, to see if we're a good fit to work together and kind of learn about my um, small group coaching program. Right now I do a 10 week small group and then I have a support group afterwards, but it's basically a crash course in intuitive eating, but through the lens of having ADHD to kind of account for, you know, sensory issues for executive function, you know, eating, if you're on medication, all of that sort of stuff. So I think it's helpful to look at it through that lens versus sometimes trying a lot of some of my clients are like I've tried intuitive eating but this was like the missing piece because it's you know or it's like hey like, the idea of not having necessarily having a plan or like some people like neurotypical people who teach intuitive eating will be like don't really have a plan just kind of go with the flow and they're like that doesn't work I can't do that and it's like finding like that right amount of structure that's not too much structure for people with ADHD so that they can still be able to check in with their bodies and eat intuitively, but it doesn't have to feel like a free for all. Cause I know <laughs> when I first started intuitive eating, I was like, how do you like meal plan without it being like disordered or like diety and like figuring out a way to do that, that actually works. Cause like, if you don't have any idea what you're going to eat and just going with the flow doesn't really work very well. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um, Well, that's amazing, Becca. And we'll link all of your resources and your Instagram and everything in the show notes if anyone wants to find them there. But thank you so much for being here and just sharing your approach to intuitive eating and how you work with families and how you or how you work with individuals and how you support them. I love learning from you. So thanks for sharing with us. Thanks. I love learning from you too. I'm always like, yes, I like always have saved a lot of a lot of your posts because they they relate to things that some of my clients struggle with too. So thank you. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks Becca. This podcast is brought to you by the autism nutrition library, a one-stop hub and community for all things, autism nutrition created to help you explore evidence-based nutrition approaches that have proved to be effective to help individuals with autism feel their best, do their best, and be their best. Join now by visiting autismnutritionlibrary.com or by stopping by my Instagram at autismdietitian. See you next week.